AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. This week, we heard that President Biden is expressing frustration over continued low approval ratings and not being able to catch a break as multiple crises have piled on. Inflation, high gas prices, a baby formula shortage, and what to do about gun violence have all hit at the same time. In another bit of frustration, we also saw President Biden deliver an impassioned plea to Congress to act on gun control on Thursday, calling on lawmakers to restore limits on the sale of assault-style weapons and high-capacity magazines, and even raising the age to buy guns to 21. This comes after massacres in Uvalde, Texas and Buffalo, New York, and another attack Wednesday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The focus right now in the White House is to fix the issues, but also, what would a winning message be as we head into the midterms? Politically, this is very damaging. For more on all this, we'll speak to Peter Nicholas, senior national political reporter at NBC News. The baby formula shortage. President Biden is unhappy about that as well. Um, Our reporting shows he only got briefed on that for the first time, maybe about four to six weeks ago. And this was a crisis long in the making. So he's been unhappy with his staff about that as well. And one thing to remember about President Biden is implicit in his whole campaign in 2020 was that he would be a competent administrator, that he'd been in public office and public life for decades. This would be a lot more smooth running administration than we saw under Donald Trump. So this hurts. These managerial lapses, executive snafus are difficult, and they go against the whole premise of the Biden presidency, which is that it would be competent and well run. So one of the things that we're hearing about is there could be a possible shakeup. I think Ron Klein, chief of staff Ron Klein, has been one of the people that they said could depart after the midterm. So we still have some time with him, but we know that uh, shakeups are just kind of inevitable throughout a president's term. Yeah. But that's one of the things that we're hearing. Well, that's right. So we've done some reporting on this and many people have, we talked to our close to the White House, 
have heard that Ron Klain, who is the chief of staff, a close Biden confidant, might be leaving at some point after the midterms. It's not uncommon for there to be turnover at high levels of the White House. There's a lot of burnout in these jobs. But Klain's departure would be a telling one. And there's some an appetite among some people who are also close to Biden for him to appoint Anita Dunn as the new White House chief of staff to replace Ron Klain. In the entire history of the White House chief of staff position, which dates back to the Eisenhower administration or possibly earlier, maybe even the Truman administration, we've not seen a a female chief of staff. So Anita Dunn would make history and it would fulfill a promise that the Biden made on the campaign trail, which is to appoint a more diverse administration to bring uh, people of color, uh, female faces into high levels of the White House. So that's something that we can look we should look for after the midterms. I mean, those are always interesting things, and and we have to let those play out before we see if it makes any type of improvement, whether in their kind of managerial decisions or with the public. But it's just tough, right? Because people are facing issues at home. And they don't really necessarily care about shakeups like that. Uh, One of the things, let's say, uh, another concerning pattern that has been coming up, and this happened during the Trump administration, too, where the president would say something, then aides have to go back and clear things up and say, well, he didn't mean this, he didn't mean that. Uh, (laughs) So this is another thing that's been sticking with President Biden as well. Uh, You mentioned in the article the thing that happened uh, during a speech in Poland about Russia saying Putin can't remain in power. We all saw that, right? It kind of created a big media storm for a few days. And that was one of the things they had to clear up what he said. Well, that's right. Uh, so this has happened uh, uh, on several occasions, very high profile instances where uh, we have kind of a cleanup effort by the White House staff after the president says something. And we've heard that uh, Biden does not like this, thinks it undercuts him, it undermines him. He prides himself on his authenticity. Uh, he often says, uh, He talks in a plain spoken, um, authentic, uh, accessible way that people like. And I I think that helped propel his rise in politics. And when the staff says no, he really meant something different and buzzes it up and tries to clarify what he said, makes him look like he's not in charge. And that feeds a Republican narrative that he's not in command. So this is not necessarily helpful for him. It's not a good look for the Biden White House. And he's unhappy with it. And uh, I would not be surprised if this didn't stop. I think the White House staff uh, does not want to draw any more attention to this. Okay, so this is all heading into the midterms. It's not going to stop after the midterms because after that, 2024 kind of starts getting into gear. But as I mentioned, the other frustrations that President Biden is expressing is that they're not getting credit for good stuff that they're doing. You know, when we talk about things like inflation and high gas prices, this economic picture is very complicated because on the other side of things, we are we do have good numbers in unemployment and things like that. But the inflation thing, the high gas prices is just kind of so prevalent. He's not getting any uh, good news on that front. And he also feels like Democrats aren't supporting him and coming out and giving him that support on that side. So these are continued frustrations for President Biden. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, when people go to the supermarket or they don't see baby food on, on the shelves or they see uh, supply chain shortages, Uh, It's very frustrating to them. I mean, gas is averaging more than $4 per gallon. So, yes, the unemployment is low. It's at it's less than four percent. It's at pre-pandemic levels. But Biden is really not getting credit for that. It frustrates him. His poll numbers are now down to Donald Trump levels. And he doesn't like that and doesn't quite understand it. So he's trying to come up with a message that might resonate better, that would point to successes the administration has had. He has passed an important bill that pumps money into infrastructure projects. 
and he wants more attention drawn to that. He came up with a phrase on his own called ultra MAGA, which is to suggest that the Trump faithful are extremists and can't be trusted with the reins of government. But that has backfired in a way. Merchandisers have started selling ultra MAGA T-shirts and caps, and they take pride in that kind (laughs) of designation. So it's not quite landed in the way Biden hoped. And as you point out, after the midterms, we had right into 2024 presidential race, and every president, every city president wants a free ride. They don't want a challenge in the nomination contest. Biden cannot count on that. He may well get a challenge from the left. Progressives are not happy, and they could run a competitor against Biden. Peter Nicholas, senior national political reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to be with you. This week, we also heard about some shifting attitudes when it comes to work for Gen Z. For a long time, they were looking for work that could make a difference in the world and that would also align with their values. But as inflation and student loan debt continue to rise, they're willing to ditch some of those values for a better paycheck. For more on how the pandemic and entering the workforce at this present time is changing some minds, we'll speak to Callum Borchers, on-the-clock columnist at the Wall Street Journal. If you look at the polling data for years, they've been saying, well, we want to work for companies that share our values. Deloitte, for example, does some really good survey on this. Every single year, they poll Gen Z. So just a year ago, about half of Gen Zs said that their personal ethics will dictate the kind of work they're willing to do and the companies they're willing to work for. Well, a year later, this year, that number's down to 37%. So that's still a big chunk, but you have more Gen Zs who are actually hitting working age, right? They're butting into some realities and maybe having to make some compromises they would have criticized just a short time ago. I mean, we got high inflation, housing costs are very high. And of course, this is a generation with a lot of student loan debt. So they're being pulled between mission and money. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people, right, that have been in the workforce for a long time, you're kind of just thinking, well, of course, you know, of course, everybody's going to make that change at some point. But, you know, we saw it even with millennials really wanting to work for something that they felt was important that would make a difference. But these shifts kind of keep changing. You you nailed it with uh, what you said, too. Inflation, all this other stuff is really changing people's uh, ideas of what working is. And, uh, you know, we did a story on the podcast not too long ago where talking about Gen Z and working, too. And they said, you know, they don't have dream jobs because they don't dream of working. They want it to be something impactful. But uh, again, to the point of it, right, those things are changing now. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a real distinction to be made between uh, the Gen Zers and, and the millennials in this sense. And I'm a millennial. I've, I graduated in the Great Recession. I think one of the big differences was that a lot of folks and a lot of my classmates found sort of nonprofit work to be kind of a safety net, actually, right? Because the job market wasn't very good. So they said, I'm going to go do Teach for America or, or City Year or something like this. And then, you know, sort of wait for the market to recover. But also, housing costs were super low at that point. I mean, I bought my first condo in Boston for $205,000. And this was in the late aughts. Can you imagine wow. <laughs> buying a condominium in Boston for you, that kind yeah. of price? So it was, no, you couldn't, you couldn't even get a, a garage for that kind of price. So, so it, it's a different position that the Gen Zs are in right now. They have even more student debt than millennials had. Yes, the job market is much better, but they certainly don't feel like the nonprofit world is kind of a safety net. And Lord knows they can't buy anything <laughs> for $205,000 in a major yeah. city. Tell me a little bit about some of the politics that are at play. And, and, you know, I mentioned the pandemic, right? The great resignation was a huge thing that they've been going through right now as they're entering the workforce, seeing people leave lower wage jobs for work-life balance, work from home structures. Their whole view of work is changing. So tell me how that some of that has been influencing them. 
Yeah, I think part of the change uh, I'm hearing from these young workers I, I spoke with is that they're beginning to sort of make a distinction between their working lives and their personal lives. So, yes, in an ideal world, would they love to work for a company that shares their values and have really meaningful on the clock work? Yeah, sure. But if that's not possible, maybe they find time to volunteer outside of work or to do something else. I mean, I spoke with a young man named Ben Nitsani, for example, who is a new law school grad. He says, you know, in the future, he'd love to be able to pick the clients and causes that he's really passionate about. But he's also carrying six figures of student loan debt. He's the son of immigrants, first in his family to go to college. And he just doesn't feel like a public service job is a viable option right now. So he took the highest paying job he could find (laughs) at a big law firm. And he says, look, I'm going to do that job. And then on my personal time, I'm going to donate Jewish soup kitchens is a cause that's close to his heart. He'll make time for other charities as well. But he's not looking for all the fulfillment to come from the job. And I think that's a sentiment that I heard a lot from the young workers I spoke with. Yeah, and some of these surveys and things that they took, right? So climate change was, for a long time, was a top concern, but the cost of living now has become the main thing for a lot of these Gen Zers. And one of the interesting things that came up in some of the conversations you were having with these younger people in the workforce right now or entering the workforce is a sense of guilt, even, you know, guilty that they can't go do some of this other stuff that they feel like, you know, I have to put money ahead of it. You know, like I said, just uh, the way different generations think about work and money and all that. That's an interesting one right there, that they're guilty, that they feel guilty that they can't do more meaningful stuff. Yeah, that really stood out to me. I felt badly for this young woman. I spoke with her name is Monica Tunyes, I think is who you're thinking of. She's a young woman who grew up in Miami, low income family, she told me. And she says, I always felt this need to give back because there were people who helped me get to a better place in life. She's a really smart young woman, went to Yale, started her career at an education nonprofit in New York City. But she told me she was making so little working with public school children in New York City that she had to tutor rich kids on the side just <laughs> just to pay her bills, right. which was sort of ironic. And and then, you know, the pandemic hits, she sort of, you know, takes a step back, evaluates what she wants to do. And anyway, she ultimately takes a, a much higher paying job for a large company in, in Austin, Texas, which is where I spoke to her now. And so she's been in that job for about a year. And she did. She said, I feel kind of guilty. I mean, there are so many people doing good work in the world who don't feel the same kind of cushiness that I feel now in my new stable job. And I feel kind of guilty about that. And and this is somebody who's really knows what it's what it's like to struggle, who's already done a lot of good in the world. Right. Well, just an interesting look at the constantly shifting attitudes when it comes to work. The pandemic was a huge thing that influenced a lot of that. And we're going to keep seeing the way these things change as more and more of Gen Z starts entering the workforce. Callum Borschers, on the clock columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be with you. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? 
it's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you finally ready for things to get back to normal this summer? Well, you can think again about that. A worker shortage means that some businesses will work on limited hours or be closed altogether. Unfortunately, no one is applying for some of these summer jobs, and it's leading to higher labor costs and higher prices. A lot of businesses and restaurants are starting to look for teenagers and foreign workers to help make up some of this labor pool. For more on how places are cutting back operations despite high demand, we'll speak to Sarah Cheney-Cambon, labor economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. It's been pretty surprising, honestly, because I've been covering labor economics for a while now. And last summer, as these labor shortages really started to emerge, a lot of economists were saying, you know, it's just a matter of time before workers return to the workforce. A lot of what's holding people back right now is related to the pandemic, whether that's increased childcare responsibilities or fear of COVID-19. But here we are about a year later, and we're just seeing the effects of the labor shortages still. You know, in Phoenix, less than half of the public pools are opening because they can't hire enough lifeguards. We're seeing, as you mentioned, restaurants cutting hours, really long lines at ice cream shops. And a lot of this just comes down to the fact that companies are are struggling to find people. Totally. You know, you mentioned Phoenix, right? The less than half of those public pools are opening. That's despite some of these areas offering a $2,500 incentive payment, you know? So they're saying, please come. We'll give you a big bonus for it. And people still aren't applying. And so there's two big key factors at play. A lot of this is the demand for workers is just extremely high still. And then these workers in a lot of these lower wage industries are quitting their jobs or switching their jobs as better opportunities keep coming up. So this is kind of what's keeping this whole thing uneasy. Absolutely. I mean, it is somewhat of an issue to have so much demand, which sounds ironic, but job openings are basically at record high levels. So employers are are really hungry to hire workers, but they just don't have enough people to choose from. And then, as you mentioned, the rates of quitting, especially in industries like restaurants, are still really high. So if I'm a restaurant owner and I have workers who are constantly leaving, then that creates some vacancies that I have to fill in. And that takes time for some companies. You spoke to a lot of business owners and kind of the troubles that they're having keeping uh, the staff up and everything. One of the things that's been going on, too, with a lot of people and, and job applicants is that they're ghosting employers. So they say, hey, you know, I need a job. They might apply. Let's get an interview going so we can see if we're going to hire you on. And then a lot of times they're not even showing up. So I'm sure that's especially, <laughs> that's especially frustrating for the employers. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, become this term that some companies use and it sounds funny, but it is frustrating for them. I spoke to one business in Cape Cod. It's a restaurant, you know, serves up lobster bisque and, and fish and chips. And normally before the pandemic during the summer, they would operate seven days a week. 
Now they're only open five days a week, struggling to stay open five days a week because of labor shortages. And the restaurant owner there was saying that it's hard to get people to respond to their job advertisements. And when people do, they oftentimes ghost, as you mentioned. But we're also throughout all of this, right? A lot of these things are lower wage industries, as we mentioned, but even still on that side of things, wages are rising. But I mean, whether it's uh, not enough or there's just other better opportunities, other places, the workers aren't coming back. You know, we're looking at places like hotels. We're looking at places like the summer camps that uh, are in high demand, especially as things are ramping up and, and just they're not being able to attract the employees to get there. It's sort of a mystery how some of these businesses can be raising wages so much and, and yet still struggle to find people. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do think that some people are, um, some workers are switching industries into higher wage industries. So if you're a, a restaurant worker, you were in that industry for a really long time, and now you're making a transition, you might be going into an industry that, that offers a completely higher wage. So it doesn't really matter that restaurants are raising pay. And there's an other interesting side thing to it, right? So a lot of adults left these jobs in retail, tourism, hospitality during the pandemic for better things. So right now what we're seeing is teenagers have become particularly essential to a lot of these industries, especially as we're talking about some of these summer jobs, what's thought of as as more of these summer jobs. And then foreign workers. A lot of companies are increasingly hiring foreign workers because you just need people to to staff the, the openings there. Absolutely. Those are two really key groups that companies are looking to hire from. And in fact, the Biden administration actually just made an additional 35,000 seasonal worker visas available to employers. So that should help some. But, you know, at the end of the day, we still have 11.5 million unfilled jobs in the U.S. So hiring foreign workers through those visas is is not going to completely fill that gap. And and the same applies for teen workers. They're only about 4% of the overall labor force. So even if all of them have jobs, it's not going to completely resolve the labor shortages. Yeah. So get ready for limited hours, a lot of closures, things that are just not there for you when you want them. But we'll keep an eye out for all of it. Sarah Cheney-Cambon, labor economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Oscar. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 